It was uh, late June of 2011, and I was lost. What defined me as a man up to that point was my money and my family, and I operated on the condition that I was valuable because of my performance. I was 36 years old, and I was at the top of my game. I had a high income, a beautiful family. I had all the trappings of an upper-class American life, the cars, the home, the stuff. And then in an instant, all of it was meaningless. The year... 2011 started out like any other. My wife and I took a trip to Utah in February to go skiing. We had a great time. I came home refreshed, ready to attack the goals I had set for my business that year. And my future looked so bright, I was really firing on all cylinders. When one day, I discovered that my wife, whom I had never so much as had an argument with in six years we were married, was having an affair. And not just any affair, she had decided to actually leave our marriage for another man. Now, even now, as I write these words, I, I can't possibly convey the betrayal and the emotional devastation that I felt. And that was April, and for two or three months, I begged and begged her to stop flying out to California to see this man. I begged her to look at the four-year-old daughter and the 18-month little boy uh, we had, and I just assumed she'd eventually wake up and we'd get through this mistake and continue our lives. But as the months wore on and the evidence that maybe I had never really known this woman surfaced, Things that she had kept hidden from me, the foul language, uh, the clothing, the poor decisions and friends, the drinking, the smoking, and yes, even the drugs were a daily reminder that this marriage was over. I was crushed. I didn't go to work. I lost 40 pounds. I couldn't sleep, but it was worse. I had lost my purpose. I was wearing the L on my forehead for all to see. Just another failure, just another divorce, and I was no longer anything special. I couldn't perform my way out of this one. I was lucky in that I had several very good men around me who were telling me that while no one is innocent in divorce, this instance was about as one-sided as it could be, and that if she really wanted to throw her life away and go on her own, then that's what would happen. They all told me the same thing, that there's something bigger going on here that I couldn't see. Problems weren't with the marriage and our family, they went deeper than that. I listened to all those words of advice, I took them to heart. I was reaching out to God in prayer every day, but I was emotionally raw and beaten, and I just couldn't get up off the mat. I was defeated. And then I heard a man named Victor Mark speak. And it was near the 4th of July holiday in 2011. I went to church that day so I could hear something that would remind me that God was still there for me. I just wanted some good old-fashioned preaching. Instead, what I got was a guest speaker, and I was pissed off. I didn't want to hear a guest speaker. And then when Victor began to speak, I thought this guy was joking me. I, I couldn't even understand him. He was speaking in some unknown accent that I later found out was Cajun. And, uh, you know, what was he going to do with these nunchucks that I saw? Are we seriously going to get a karate demonstration on the day when I literally couldn't breathe? My wife had just minutes beforehand asked me to leave the house so her 50-year-old boyfriend could come and hang out at our pool while he was in town for a visit. Oh yeah, she continued, leave the kids, he'll, he'll want to meet them. And that was my day as I'm sitting here in church watching this karate dude. What happened next changed my life, my kids' lives, and several other people's lives as well, because Victor began using humor to reel me in. And after he caught my attention, he talked about his military background, and I needed that. I needed a man, a tough dude, to get my attention. I couldn't handle any more skinny jeans preachers talking about, oh, brother this and oh, brother that. I needed a warrior. And Victor Marks is that guy. Victor talked about his childhood, everything he had gone through. And if you don't know his story, you will soon. 
But then he landed the knockout punch. He talked about warfare, specifically spiritual warfare, and he directed his talk to the men. He discussed what it was meant or what it meant to be a spiritual warrior locked in an ageless battle against real demons. And I absolutely knew what he was talking about. Victor gave me the ability to see beyond my hurt and to my future. And he showed me if I was going to be a real man, a true warrior, that I needed to suck it up and face the real enemy. The real enemy wasn't my wife or her boyfriend or her behavior. The enemy was and is Satan. And this battle was for all the chips. He called me out and I responded. Literally from that day forward and with the help of men who poured into me in an intimate way, I went on a war footing. I sat there and I promised myself a few things. One, I'd be friends with this Victor Marks karate guy. Two, I would fight the battle like a warrior. And three, I'd pray for my wife and I would build a life moving forward with or without her. Now, by late, of, late July 2011, I was divorced. It was three months from the date that she filed. And it was a runaway freight train in the sheer terms of the, of the rapidity of the events. But I held firm. I was tough, but also kind in my negotiations with her. And by January of 2012, I met a woman named Jamie, who I later married and became the producer of this podcast. Jamie and I have four kids in our house. We lead our family according to a set of principles we agreed on before we even married. But nothing's more important than the fact that we know evil, we've seen evil, we've battled evil, and we respect the fight against evil. As a man who has never known the physical battlefield on earth, I can without a doubt tell you I've seen the spiritual battle take out many men and women. And in the context of the business world, the spiritual battle is often ignored completely while we put out the more immediate fires of the day. I say do this at your peril. If you don't address the matters of the heart, you're playing with fire. My guest today has seen these spiritual battles take out many people and families. and His story is one you need to hear. So it's with my extreme pleasure that I introduce you all to my friend, uh, Victor Marks. Victor, hello. Joe, man, I, first of all, thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, allowing me to be on y'all's podcast. And second, I'm stunned. Has it been that many years? 2011. 2011, wow. seven years. Man. It, uh, <laughs> and, and to see you today um, and the battles that you've gone through. And I'll tell I tell you, you reading that, what really just, man, I thought, for those listeners who don't know, I mean, we, uh, you know, I've spent time in the battlefield uh, in Iraq of, of late, the last few years, and had to physically battle against ISIS in our goal to help liberate women and children. And, uh, and I've said this, and I mean it, and it just dovetails on what you were saying. The spiritual warfare is far tougher than the physical. Yeah. Man, I would much rather have rounds zinging by me or mortars going off, um, you know, carbon. All of that, as intense it is, as it is in the moment, it, it still pales in comparison to the 24-7 uh, uh, access the enemy has to attack us at times uh, in spiritual warfare. So, man, I, I appreciate what you said. Well, thank you. You're, you're uh, yeah. Some of the people that know me and know uh, my history, they uh, they know that it wouldn't have been possible without people like you in and around me. And at the time, obviously, you and I didn't know each other. 
So uh, right. let's, um, let's get into some of your story. I know <clears throat> that tens and tens and tens of thousands of people around the globe have heard your story and they, they've seen it on YouTube and read your book. But most of the people on this podcast, Victor, they, they probably have never heard of you because they're so busy building a business and doing life. Right. So can you, uh, can you walk us through what I know very well intimately about you, your background and your story? Yeah, you bet. It's, um, uh, one, I have a very good adult life now, you know, like you were blessed, great wives, you know, wonderful children. And, um, we can just sense, you know, the hand of God on us with his grace and mercy. But, you know, as, as a kid, that wasn't the case. Uh, although he kept me, my biological dad didn't claim me as his child. And him and my mother had divorced. She married six times. He struggled with drugs and, uh, and then also sex trafficking women. Um, and, you know, I learned at a, a young age, you know, your innocence and that what you think is secure can get ripped from you. And it did for me. You know, I suffered abuse physically, uh, mentally and, and sexually. And, uh, and you know, the, I was tortured uh, from electrocution uh, to water dunking. And uh, it was intentional and it was purposeful to make my mind really just to split and, and it did. Um, ultimately I was, you know, at one point left for dead in a commercial cooler. And, uh, you know, that set me on a, a pretty broken track, uh, to run as a kid. Um, you know, got in trouble with the law, your typical high risk behavior, drug use and, and anger. And, uh, that's what led me to the Marine Corps. And even though I had a, uh, a semblance and introduction to religion and God and faith. It just didn't work for me because it seemed like those who I knew it wasn't working for them. Mm. So I, I, I really wasn't interested. And once I joined the Marine Corps, um, I was going to fulfill my destiny, become a man, which at that time was a pretty limited definition, <laughs> be able to drink, be able to drink, be able to fight, and, you know, chase the women. Uh, and even in that, I, I remember thinking, okay, I'm doing this. And it's pretty empty. And is this what life is really about? So, you know, it, it was, um, I quickly learned that there's got to be something more than what we can obtain or do. And I think, you know, and for some of your listeners, um, I'm not here trying to convert anybody. I'm just sharing my story, which part of it is a spiritual aspect. Um, I really needed, you know, a God to help me. And he did. And it was actually through my biological dad coming back into my life um, as a Marine and apologizing for never being there, never being a dad. He shared he had an encounter a faith encounter with God and it, it changed his life. So it was through him that I started taking an honest look at, you know, stop lying to myself uh, about, well, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm a good person um, because I don't do this, this or this. But the reality is I, you know, I, I struggled and uh, 
if I looked at the Ten Commandments as a kind of a a plumb line uh, for what was right and wrong, I I broke all of them, hmm. and that's when I knew, whew, man, I, I I do need to feel forgiven because I couldn't shake that that burden and that weight of some people call it sin, some people call it just you know doing wrong things, but I had done wrong things. And it was uh, back in 1986 uh, that I heard the simple message that the whole reason Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived, and died on the cross was for me and others like me who need to be forgiven and given new life. And I got that. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it has been an unbelievable journey. It hasn't been easy, but it has been great. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that, that I've broken some statistics by psychiatrists, <laughs> by counselors, by law enforcement, and, um, you know, gone on to, by the goodness of God, you know, we have an organization that reaches children who've been affected by ISIS or have been kidnapped um, in extremist groups and we have some pretty incredible, talented teams of professionals that put it on the line um, in the most un, you know, welcoming environments uh, in order to help those uh, who really nobody else will. So yeah. I think that's it in a in a nutshell. Now, you know, it's. I can almost uh, imagine people listening to this on the in their car or you know, on the treadmill and thinking, hold up. So this guy who knew six stepfathers, I think, is what you said? Yep. You're, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know your story. You went to more than a dozen different schools as a kid. And um, as you say. 17 houses, yeah. 17 houses, Okay. Um, you know, beaten, left for dead in a, in a commercial cooler is what you said. I mean, yep. unspeakable things to happen to a little boy. Anybody who's on the, who's on this podcast right now listening, who has a son, I've got an eight year old little boy. Um, it hits you differently when you mm. hear that. And I can almost hear, you know, I can almost feel them saying that is so far uh, you know, out there as the outlier of, of extreme kinds of things. Oh, my, my problems are nothing compared to him. And you said to me one time, I, I was talking to you, I don't know if you remember this, but I was talking to you, not in context of that, of your history, but to what you do today, you know, being mm. over in Iraq and uh, literally battling against ISIS and just the evil of the evil. And I said, man, Victor, I, I just, I could, you know, I'm nothing compared to that. And, and, and you kind of put it in perspective. And so I want to do that right now. I think that whether you've got a background like yours, like Victor's, or whether you went through a, a divorce, or whether you're just having a hard time with your wife right now, mm. Victor, it is all spiritual battles that I think really take people out. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, uh, yeah. What I would love, because I don't know that you talk about this that often, but it's so perfect for these guys and, and gals who listen today. I know that you were... You didn't go from a Marine to um, All Things Possible Ministries. You were a very successful businessman a couple of times over, were you not? Yes. Yep. Can you tell and, us a little bit about that? Well, you know, I, I 
I think people who suffer, and, and I'll say this, because we do have people tell me often, oh, I didn't go through anything like you. Right. You know, and I just go, well, hey, you know what? Pain is relative. Mm-hmm. All, all pain is it's equal to individuals who are experiencing it, right? Uh, there can be different consequences, uh, but the, the pain and the dis- dysfunction and the, the wounded heart, that's all equal. Because, mm-hmm. um, uh, I mean, some of your listeners could have a really good upbringing family, but maybe there was a dad that was distant, you know, and not all there or whatever it is. So I, I, never, I never minimize people's pain or what they're trying to work through. But uh, I definitely, you know, we become one percenters. Um, I've found that people who've really gone through hard times, uh, will excel uh, to the point of being driven. And I see it in um, with people I mentor or leadership uh, uh, seminars that I give from the Pentagon to Emmy award-winning actors to, you know, the NFL or just highly successful business people. A lot of times there's a drivenness to become successful um, but what happens, they end up getting locked in their own golden cage. And that's where I kind of step in. And, uh, for the other extreme of what we do is helping successful people enjoy their life. And for me, we lived in Hawaii, um, had ownership of a construction company. And then, you know, the largest martial arts schools in Hawaii. And we were, we had a very good uh, easy life, um, according to world standards, lived in an estate up above on uh, Tantalus in Hawaii. I'm thinking Magnum PI right now. Is about right? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it, it was. I worked about eight hours a week uh, and had great staff and great people doing. And But even at that, you know, um, if you don't feel like you're fulfilling a purpose with your life, either your time or your talent or your treasures, your finance, there'll be a lack. And, and again, that's what I've seen even in the special operations community. I've worked with a lot of, uh, from SEAL Team 6 guys to Delta, uh, uh, whatever it is, is, you know, Uber warriors, I mean, to the nth degree, and yet struggling can't maintain relationships with the, you know, it's just, so we, we try to come in and say, all right, have you ever considered uh, a spiritual aspect called warfare? Do you believe in good and evil? And you know what? People will, people will tell me they believe in evil more than they believe in like God uh, because they've seen what we would call manifestations of it. Right. Um, and that's why horror shows are so popular and all that. So we, we, we introduced the concept uh, of spiritual warfare, which is, is a different dimension. And I do believe that most people are studied and stalked by evil spirits. We would call them demons. That really, their main purpose is to disrupt or destroy a person's life through anything from being driven to be successful or... Uh, you know, the extreme opposite, this mental campaign 
that you'll never be successful. You're not valuable. Nobody loves you. You, you know, you're worthless. And a lot of times that's, that's what women do with, you know? Mm. And, and uh, that's why it's so critical that we learn the basic fighting strategies of when, when we do enter that realm, we can be successful and victorious over these entities we can't see. Now you brought up a couple of, you said a couple of things that caught my attention because I've written about them many times uh, in different contexts, but you just said, you used the phrase one percenters. You said people who have, not all the time, but sometimes people who have these backgrounds of pain um, tend to be very, very driven individuals, one percenters, whether they become spec ops guys, professional athletes, or whether they become big business people. And I talk right. a lot about those one percenters, and um, usually we talk about the the difficulty in becoming one, and you know how to hold those uh, those commitments and things like that. But actually, what you're talking about is well, a lot of those one percenters are there because of pain, and even if they succeed, like you you had a couple successful businesses, and you know I've talked to a lot of people, and myself included, that when you get when you get the money handled, when you're not working. Right. Hundred hours a week to get to that point. When you when you've taken care of that, you now you now wonder what to do, and you lack that purpose. And and that is where I think a lot of business people get taken out. And yep. Um, so the reason why that really struck me is this is exactly where I wanted to go with you. In 2018, listening to podcasts, even going to the big modern Christian churches now today, I'm hearing a lot of stuff like they're all hacks, they're all meditation, they're all external things. I don't really hear anybody dealing with the heart, um, very specifically the spiritual warfare. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's an area that sadly, uh, most, and I'd say most, um, and I, and I understand what that means when, you know, but most pastors or ministry leaders, they would rather stay away from that subject either because they don't really have the tools uh, to help people. So therefore, you know, they're really not a subject matter expert mm -hmm. on it, or just the fact that um, they got spooked one time and they got buffaloed by, you know, some demonic force and, and they won't even talk about it, you know, and on the point of the one percenters, I, there's two groups that I've seen and defined it's people coming from a point of pain or trauma. And then also people who come from really good, stable homes that their parents have built into them solid foundations and, and really positive, solid uh, identity of who they are and what they can do. So that's the two typical groups that I find as the one percenters, the outliers and, um, and again, it's through many years of working with people and going, what, what, what are the commonalities of this mm. and how do people reach that? But then how do they maintain or have a, a level of happiness? And those people who suffered typically struggle the most versus the others who, you know, learn balance on how to be busy, but balanced. And, you know, they're not hiding their identity in all of it. Mm. So that was a question I had for you, you know, because in what you do, and we'll get into ATP a little bit and, um, and what you guys do and how we can support you. 
because I'm, you know, Jamie and I are big supporters of your ministry for a very specific reason. Oh, but, yeah. Um, in your work now with ATP, you know, you left behind, I think, anyway, the, the dojos and the construction and, yep. yeah, this is what you and your wife, Eileen, do. Yep. And in that world, you know, you're surrounded by very, very high performers, not just the military guys who support the actual things, you know, boots on the ground, so to speak, overseas, but, you know, the people, the people like me who support you. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and going around and speaking to these people, these, these monsters of business, not that I'm that, but, you know, these other guys that are monsters of business. What do you see, Victor, what are some common things that you see that will take these guys out um, or sneak up on them or basically cause them to go from success to maybe not so much in, in family? Like, what are the things that are just basically that, that are lying in the weeds for them? Right. Well, I, I definitely think it's uh, they get overconfident in their own abilities that aren't going to help them on a different battlefield, which is the spiritual realm. It doesn't matter if you have all the tenacity or IQ or a history of athletic or intellectual success. Uh, you're dealing with supernatural beings that have been around for ever. And if you can't identify, this is what it boils down for me. If you can't identify what I would call the whispers in life um, mm. as being something other than your own, then you will believe a lie. And you believe that lie long enough, it becomes your truth. And then you're, you're done. It's, it's a matter of time. Uh, meaning, you know, the, the successful guy who's female assistant, he just hears these whispers. Oh, she likes you. Oh, she's drawn to you. And then you may see that. And, and these little whispers, it's not that bad. Who's going to know? You deserve this. It's not a big deal. All, all this, or it may be with drinking or drugs, or it may be just, hey, you know, that next step, that next level, yeah, it's compromise. Yeah, it's, you know, but hey, there's no way to get there without this. Th those, those are lies that will destroy a person and uh, cause extreme regret. And then really, it doesn't matter what level of success they have. They, they'll lose family. You know, uh, they just, they're, they're, it's like one gentleman told me, he builds hospitals. And I, I, I think he, he, at the time he was doing about personal income, about 80 million a year. And after he heard me speak at a 25 minute luncheon, and he was an older guy, he asked me to, you know, hey, can I talk to you? We stepped outside the parking lot and he goes, Victor, I have climbed the corporate ladder to the top with great success because I just realized my ladder was on the wrong building. Hmm. And, um, and uh, so it was him really realigning and understanding that there is a huge spiritual battle going on. And um, sometimes forces of darkness will let you be successful because they know you're, you know, it will bring you further away from who you should be. And 
and, and will take away the balance of uh, who you want to be. Loving father or wife, you know, uh, good friend, colleague, faithful, you know, da-da-da. But it's, uh, it's the first step is being able to recognize the whispers in your mind or the voices in your head. Are now, they you? Are they God? Or are they from the enemy? You know, again, I always try to, I always try to put myself in the in the person listening to this is shoes, and we're gonna have a wide spectrum. We're gonna have um, people who are uh, pretty dialed in spiritually. <clears throat> you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're believers or Christians. They're gonna have other people that are the opposite extreme. You know, your story resonated so much with me um, because. At the time, you you weren't uh, you guys weren't to my knowledge you weren't serving so much overseas and helping the people over there. You were in youth prisons here in America primarily. Yeah, that is correct. Yep. Okay. And what struck me, Victor, is this: is that so you're the this is the first time, and I want people to hear this very clearly on, on the podcast because we you know we can go listen to a minister speak about spiritual warfare who has no context of it, meaning right. You know, it might be personal in nature. They've got those whispers, as you might uh, say. I've heard you refer to them as the darts before. Yeah. Um, you know, they might have that. But but beyond that, they've lived in a very comfortable, you know, suburban, middle class. And there's nothing wrong with that. But right. what struck me with you, Victor, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about it, if you would, is that you are going into these prisons. And these are youth prisons. These aren't 45-year-old men who have, you know, who have made mistake after mistake. These are young kids who had... The presence of, I don't, I don't know, I, the only thing I could say is there was probably demonic presence in their lives. And here you are speaking to these people, these kids that nobody else would even go talk to before. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think that just gives us so much more context as to, as to the authority that you have to speak on these things. Well, you know, that was, um, I went from the business world to um working with uh, a gentleman named Dr. James Dobson mm-hmm. and the founder of Focus on the Family and now Family Talk. And that was my first big step of faith, quite honestly. And it required that we poked a hole in our boat, you know. We we made it to where we need to go, and and I, I did not want to do that. And I, I was still working deals because our standard of living – you know, dramatically changed. Yeah. And, um, and for me, it was God saying, do you want to trust me? I'll provide for you. And, and, you know, it's good to be honest with God because he knows you anyway. I was like, no, I don't really trust you. You know, (laughs) I'm used to making sure we can get what we need and whatnot. So that was, you know, that journey. But when I resigned my position after a few years with Dr. Dobson, uh, who to this day were still friends. I was in his office last week, just hanging out. And uh, and we stepped into this realm of youth offenders, felons, uh, realizing there were over, at the time, there were over 1,500 juvenile facilities in our country. And every night there'd be at least 200,000 kids locked up somewhere. Wow. Um, and... You know, for whatever the reason, God just, you know, gave me the grace and desire to visit with the worst offenders. 
the top three to five percent who everybody had given up on. And um, it became, that's when I really started telling my stories about my childhood and life. And um, I didn't really go into depth until I started reaching out to these kids. There was, it was so well received. One, because I'm real, you know, and uh, kids like that can smell fake uh, a thousand miles away. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but I've received to date uh, somewhere around a little over 6,000 handwritten letters from kids, uh, eight years to 18 who've been locked up. And that's why we wrote my book, uh, to give it out because now, now we've been in over, oh, it's, it's, I think 1100 juvenile facilities currently, you know, spoken at our book or whatnot. So we, they were so open to learning about spiritual warfare to the demonic because they had seen evil, done evil, mm. but no one gave them the playbook or a strategic leadership plan on how do you beat these things. And you're right. It goes from whispers to darts to fiery missiles that can hit you. And, um, and most kids I visited with who had killed people, I'd always ask them, what, you know, because I want to find what was the common thread? What would make a child, a kid extreme, including school shooters? Mm-hmm. I, and, and one common thread was there was a darkness and voices. And they thought the voices were theirs. And we'll say it's mental illness and, and put people on drugs. But I'll tell you, and I, as a matter of fact, just before we got on the phone, we had a service person come and fix our dishwasher. And um, the guy just started talking, talking, talking. And he just goes, you know, oh, man, I struggle with bipolar, schizophrenia. You know, they have male meds. And, and he just he just poured his life out. Mm. But you as a friend know, you know that happens to us because we, we think God sets these appointments up. And within, you know, we talked for 30 minutes. Gave him a copy of my book, and he just goes, "You put into words that which I couldn't figure out in my mind." And he's not a Christian, but he goes, "Man, I, I, I'm really excited." So, just in 30 minutes, this was a logjam that will give a course correction to this man, um, and uh, hopefully affect generations. But with the kids who are incarcerated, uh, it's still one of my favorite things to do is uh, to go on a cell or a small group of kids that people have given up on. And I see them, how God sees them, potential, great value, gifted. You know, many of them came from very unfair backgrounds. Mm. Um, when you talk to a, a 16-year-old girl who, you know, was a habitual selling herself as a prostitute, and then you find out her mom was the first person to trick her out at 11 years old. You know, or her mom was the first person to give her heroin. You start learning the backgrounds and you go, goodness gracious. And those kids believe in evil, but they really want to believe in a a God who could help them. And um, probably the most astounding thing I, I say particular to that is I give them a moral code. I go, if you don't have some type of moral code, how you know, how are you going to make it or make the right decisions? 
And uh, and this may be a bit much for some of your listeners, but I do believe in the sanctity of marriage, and I do believe that uh, sex is meant to be in the context of marriage between a man and a woman, not before or after with anybody else. Now, I mean, I stand here saying I've told everybody I've broken all the Ten Commandments. Uh, so I understand failure in that way, and I understand it didn't work. So when I tell, I remember I was in a facility with just all boys, L.A. County, hard, I mean, MS-13, Mexican Mafia, Bloods, just hardened teenagers. And when I said, I think one of the best pieces of advice I can tell you, stop having sex. <laughs> you know, wait till you get married. Yeah, exactly. Man, they started laughing like, what is this fool talking about? And I said, I know it sounds crazy, but, you know, just think about it. If everyone waited till they got married or, you know, started right this point forward to live a pure life and keep sex in the context of marriage, man, we wouldn't have fatherless children. And I told one kid who stood up, he says, hey, man, that's just crazy. No disrespect, but. I got to share my love with all the girls, you know. <laughs> and I was like, I bet you're sharing more than love. Uh, and, you know, he says, why would it be that? Di- why do you think it would be good? I said, great question. One, you'd have a dad at home. And you could have heard a pin drop. Right. Where these kids, and I'll never forget, he goes, damn. And he sat down. And, and uh, I said, your sister would have never been raped. You wouldn't never have to hear your mom coming in from a nightclub, bringing a dude home, and you hear him in the back bedroom, and all you want to do is, is take a knife from the kitchen and stab him in his neck. And I've seen so many hardened gang members start to have hot tears come down from their eyes when I mention that, that mm-hmm. right there. Because even a kid knows there's something not right with their mom hooking up with some dude. It, it hurts their soul because, you know, because of this whole spiritual deal going on. And, and I told him, I said, man, you know what? There wouldn't be child abuse. There wouldn't be, and there wouldn't have been a kid left in a commercial cooler in 1970 by a child molester, me. And, and what that, you know, the suffering that caused me. So, it's uh, it's interesting that if you just speak the truth, it exposes so many lies from forces of darkness, and that's what sets people free. You know, here's what it's, it's funny. Um, you and I serve very different groups of people, um, and you know, one of my businesses is, is coaching business people and salespeople, and. Um, and what I find a lot of times, Victor, is that, I mean, that, so the MS-13 guys, you know, having the, having the uh, desire to go stab the person in the back, you know, that's one extreme. And so what the, the danger that I've seen is that the guys that I talk to go, well, my situation is nowhere near that bad. I'm just having a hard time with my wife or I'm just having a hard time connecting with my kids because I'm so busy with work. And I'm trying to really make the connection for them that it's all warfare. Mm-hmm. 
it's a degree, as you said earlier, uh, and you can't minimize any of it. And, and I really want people to hear this today, which is why, again, I had you on, is that it's not to say that I think that the suburban insurance salesman can go from that to a murderer, although they could. But that's not where I'm getting at. I'm saying if they don't handle their heart, if they don't get a handle on these little darts, these, these whispers, as you call them, and they let the spiritual warfare take over and they believe the lies about their marriage and they believe the lies about who they are, it compounds to the point where they lose their kids emotionally. Yeah. Right? And Oh, yeah. Right. Consequences happen. Right. It's, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a fluid battle uh, that sometimes is more intense than not. But um, uh, we know this for sure. Forces of darkness hate marriage because it's an ordained institution of God Almighty. And he hates it. So, you know, one way to hurt children is to have a, a you know, a family break up or just such horrible tension between a husband and a wife. And again, you know, listen, you know, I thought early on I had to try to be perfect to be an example for people because of what had God done in my life. And I remember talking to one of my staff members who's he's a PhD and, uh, you know, really amazing counselor. And he just said, Victor, you think people want you perfect? He goes, that doesn't bring them hope. That only sets another standard they have to obtain. He goes, it's you living and working through the junk of life that makes your story so appealing. And so I tell your listeners, my wife and I, we've been separated twice, but we've been married for 30 years. And the, our beginning has definitely been rougher than the backside of this. And um, we have five children. Uh, we just had our first grandbaby. We've got another. My son's getting married next week, which hopefully will equal more grandbabies because that's what we want. We're, I'm, you know, you tell your children don't have sex so you get married. You know, you get in that mantra. Now I'm telling them when they're married, go have sex. Lots of sex. <laughs> wonderful. And make us grandbabies. Okay, go get it. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's... People suffer with just life. You know, one of the hardest things to do is just the regularity of life. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... Um, it, it will eventually catch people. That that's we've seen far too many. I mean, just look at our culture and our society. Um, you know, are people really happy? You know, or is it based on pleasure or security? One of the things that Eileen and I have made uh, that goes into you know our approach to life is we don't want to make decisions based on comfort or fear. Because those, those two things can skew what God's best design is for you. And I mean, hmm. here's, my, here's my wife, you know, wanting to go on the first mission into Iraq with me with my team of, you know, badassery guys. And I was like, are you out of your mind? And she said, no, I really think I'm supposed to go. I said, why? Because she said, you know, God told me. She says, when you find, because our first mission was to find girls that have been held captive by ISIS mm -hmm. and uh, help them with trauma relief. 
But she said, when you find those girls, and I know you and the team will, you can't hug them, but I can. Hmm. And I thought, wow, you're, you're willing to risk your life and, and face fear? And it's definitely not going to be comfortable. But from what's happened at that point, it was a girl that gave my wife an iPhone that she had stolen running out of the this you know safe house from ISIS, uh, an ISIS leader's iPhone. And I can tell you that we literally captured the first ISIS iPhone before any special operations group, before the CIA or whatever, and it blew us away. And that's when I knew, holy mackerel, if my wife wouldn't have come, we wouldn't have been able to get that phone, eventually get it to the CIA and have them draw down information, which led to, you know, uh, hurting bad people's feelings. So, <laughs> um, you know, on, so, yeah. on that too, can I, um, let me also make this point because again, we'll have people who are not, uh, Christian believers listening to you. I want to. I want to underscore this. You work very closely with uh, Muslim faith leaders, correct? Over there? Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my head of security in the international is a Muslim. Yeah. I, I, some of my closest friends are Muslims, both Shia and Sunni. Because I look at it as two sides of coin, right? One side is if, if you got together 20 minds, great thinkers, uh, medical doctors, researchers to try to to try to really uh, develop a cure for cancer. No one would care if they're atheist, Buddhist, Muslim, Christian, rich, poor. Right. 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 One com- one common thing. That's what we do on one side of the coin: fighting against extremism, countering the message, helping people get set free, working with children who you know have been traumatized. Uh, as of today, we crossed 25,000 uh, kids that we've worked with in Iraq and Syria. So, and th- now the other side of the coin is our different beliefs and faith and salvation and, you know, whatnot. But that's not a deal breaker because we're humans first. Uh, and then we work through culture and, you know, different approaches to faith or not faith. Uh, I never forget on our social media, uh, we had an atheist come on there, woman, and just start grinding me, you know, quit bringing God in everything. And da-da-da. I was like, I was like, oh, what, what? did you drink the hater aid this morning, lady? Cause I mean, I, I don't come after atheists and go, you're a bunch of non-believers. Actually, I say, you guys have more faith than me to not believe in something that was a creator. Right. Right. <laughs> and, uh, but because I dialogued with this lady, Again and again and again. By the time we were done, and it was all lives posted on, uh, it was a Facebook social media platform. She said, "Is there a place for me to donate to your ministry?" She goes, "Because although we don't agree on, you know, the God thing," she goes, "I love what you do, hmm. and I I want to be a supporter." She's still a supporter today. hasn't hasn't done any conversion that I know of, but she always signs it. Your favorite atheist supporter. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, it's uh, I'm I'm, I'm the last person that is uh, narrow-minded or bigoted. So I we've got uh, a little under ten minutes to go. I want to I want to talk a little bit about 
um, ATP Ministries, All Things Possible, um, where what you guys are doing now and what you see in the future, in the near future, to the best that you can tell us. I know there's some things that you, you obviously don't, you can't get into, but um, right. so tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing right now. Uh, oh, and what your biggest needs are right now. And, and let me say this right at the outset. I'm going to say it for you, um, if, you if you'll let me. While, <clears throat> while prayers are needed, and I know a lot of people out there praying for you, money's needed too. And mm. the people that are l- typically listening to this podcast have lots of money um, to do these things, uh, you know, and, and to donate. Um, and while, and again, Victor, I apologize because I'm speaking for you without permission, but I know you need the prayers, but I also know you need the money. Um, so, well, thank you. Uh, thanks for saying that. And uh, you know what? We, um, we don't, we don't hound people for money. We don't pour mouth and nothing like that. Uh, we just think reasonable, uh, people understand as a nonprofit, uh, we rely on donations, people's generosity to enable us to do what we do. Mm-hmm. And, um, we we have had nothing but continual growth. I mean, if you charted it as a small business, uh, it we've surpassed some incredible records. Even last year with a budget. Now we're a small organization compared to most, but our little budget was two point one million. We actually by the end of the year brought in over three million, and that's incredibly rare among nonprofits. Uh, but now we now we're completely staffed. Uh, we have bandwidth, and we're in the middle of uh, planning phase one of building an orphanage in Iraq. There's only two uh, orphanages, and they're the traditional building, you know, mm-hmm. squad bay chairs. Which we've learned that that principle doesn't necessarily help kids in the long run, right? Uh, but reinforces detachment disorder, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. So what we're doing, no one's done it in the Middle East. And I'm going to say this, no one has done what we're about to do, which is purchase a piece of land and then put homes, homes in the property, build a little school, medical center, but then have animals, you know, have it where widows, are going to be placed in charge of each home and they'll take in X amount of orphans or children in need. And um, this has gotten such a stunned, positive response, if I can say that, uh, from people in the Middle East. I was just interviewed this week uh, on one of the largest Arab networks. And I have a meeting uh, here in the near future with the Prime Minister of Iraq. And you can doggone guarantee I'm presenting a proposal for him to help fund us to do work in his country, Mm -hmm. uh, reaching their children. And then on top of it, and this may stun some people, Iraq, you know, uh, and Islam in general, has got a PR problem because of ISIS. And uh, (laughs) are you sure? (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, (laughs) and what wears me out is, you know, I was traveling. Uh, I took some time off, hopped in my Jeep, put some guns in there, my dog, driving to Oregon to meet some former Delta buddies. And and uh, we were just going to get up in the mountains. I had to decompress. Just got back from Iraq. Wasn't thinking too good. And uh, I stopped, get a coffee, and this guy saw my dog. 
for those of you, you can go to my website or social media. And you, I have a Belgian Malinois who's a, a tier one dog for multi-purpose. And, and he goes, oh, what do you do? Wow. And I told him, and this is what he said. This is what wears me out. He said, man, I think we just better kill all the Muslims over there. Mm. And I said, uh, and he was a Christian man. And I said, well, I used to think like that when I was in the Marine Corps. And yet, you know what really messes that up? He goes, what? I said, when you hold one of their children. Yeah. I said, it changes. And then he got stunned. I said, look, about 80% of them are about as nice as people you'd want as your neighbor. It's the 20% that are goofy. And then a smaller percent of that that are monsters leaders in extremism that should be put down um, because I believe in forgiveness and I believe in justice and what I've seen people do to children right now we have a case uh, a little girl five years old was shot by a sniper through her thigh and blew her thigh out and and you know it's requiring multiple surgeries and you know it's the goodness of people I put a word out hey we need X amount of money and people started generating uh, and giving because, as, as you know, I mean, you're my friend, but we're very real and transparent. We're just like, you know, hey, uh, trade places with me. If you can do it better, come on. You know, this, <laughs> this ain't a lifelong goal of mine. You know, my brother sold an oil company, drilling company, and he's, he has land in Costa Rica and a home and land for me to go to. So I don't mind hanging out down there. But, you know, God's called us to this, and it's the most wonderful, hard thing we've ever done. So, with that said, you know, um, we have our U.S.-based operations. We have our overseas. And currently, uh, you know, we, we have a home in Iraq uh, that my wife and children, we were in this past summer. Uh, but ISIS did um, target me, which is uh, it's the next level of... If they want to get you, they pretty much will, because right. they'll sac they'll sacrifice people. So we had to hide out for three days, get back to the states, and now when I go in uh, this next trip in order to meet the prime minister, I think there's a ten vehicle caravan convoy, uh, armored vehicles, and twenty four protection for security. So before people say, "Wow, I'd love to do what you're doing," <laughs> you know, maybe it's better you pray and support us because. Go in there and, you know, uh, you know, I mean, we mitigate the risk through wisdom, but it's still, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy that there are monsters out there that want to kill me for helping, you know, children that they've hurt. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, it's kind of bringing this to a almost full circle. I, something else I, I saw that was uh, highlighted on your uh, social media within the past month or so is that so you come back from there um, and I've never been there you know I've got friends who served over there and stuff but I, let's just say that it's not like living in uh, you know St. Louis Missouri it's a little different experience over there <laughs> <laughs> just ask my children right. as they they had to learn how to lock an old an AK and put body armor on and they can't stand on with vehicles because they're like coffins. Right. Like, no, Dad. Yeah. So yeah, it's different. It's a little. It's a little different. And then, <laughs> you know, you come back here and to decompress, you and your wife and your dog Scout, is his name, yep. right? Yep. 
go, you decided it would be a good idea to go to the, um, I, I don't know what it was called, but the, the, the porn industry's big event out in uh, Las Vegas, right? Oh, yeah, the number one adult entertainment porn convention in the world. Right, so right. that's how we decompress. That's we, how we you just, de- now, let me, let, me, yeah. let me explain this a little further. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's not end the podcast there. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that you went as uh, as um, participants. You guys went and set up a booth, which I just think is phenomenal. Um, and with with the pur- with the purpose of not hiding the fact that you were you know missionaries that you were you were Christian warriors essentially and yep. I'm sure people walked by there and I'm sure all kinds of darts were going through your head and I mean the reason why I bring this up is because again the extreme and thinking of that poor little girl who was shot through the through the thigh in Iraq and the things that you've seen over there and the, the constant danger that exists. In my limited scope, it's the same thing as when you're in this relative safety of Las Vegas, Nevada, and you've got dozens upon dozens of people walking by and just looking at you like you're nuts. It's all, yeah. again, spiritual warfare, is it not? It, it is. And I'll tell you, I mean, you can't go into a store in Iraq and buy a Playboy or Penthouse or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and in the Muslims areas, they don't even have alcohol, right? Um, so that's that's good people trying to have a moral code. Now, I'm not talking about the extremist, right? I'm just talking here. Uh, uh, when we went there and bought a booth and we gave out copies of my film, my book, uh, our books, and then we have films on trauma. That's one of our specialties, right? Mm-hmm. So, and we were just quite frank and open and honest um, with people coming by going, hey, what are y'all doing? What is this? And we said, we help people with trauma. And we explain our work season here. And then we would just say, we know for a fact that many people, the majority who work in the porn industry, there's a cam girl or making videos or whatever, they have suffered some type of horrific trauma. Not all, not all. Some just try to do it for the money. But I said, we're here to help them or anybody who's gone through trauma. And wouldn't you know it, there was an unbelievable, favorable response. Um, and I didn't have to put down what they do or the industry um, in order to help them. We were just willing to go in that level of darkness. And one thing I said that got picked up by a, uh, you know, a news network is just honestly, I believe that, that porn in America is the spiritual ISIS of America. Oh, um, wow. It's a 24 seven attack. And, and you and I both know it. It's as easy as looking at a phone, mm-hmm. laptop. It's, it's, uh, and if Christians first don't take this serious, uh, this, this is the man, th- this is the mustard gas the enemy's using to destroy men, to crumble the resolve, to make them become enslaved to, you know, dots on a, computer screen mm. which which i tell men you know i go look if you were transported in that moment from your bedroom or car but wherever you into that scene you know your your little private would, would shrivel up and you'd want to run away because <laughs> it is so not what you think it is and sadly man five of the some of the top porn stars five killed themselves in the last three months so again, we think it was good timing of while we were there, and um, over a thousand 
resources that we had, either movie, film, book, were given away free and helped people. And, and I'll just tell you this, we had a long-term, this guy was a standard in the industry photographer. Mm-hmm. He ended up watching my film uh, on my life story. And then he emailed us and said, you know what? Here I'm in my 60s. I've done this for 30-something years or whatever. And he just goes, I am so far off the beaten path. My mother, she was a Sunday school teacher. She raised me better. But he goes, I, I've got to do a major course correction now. And I thought, that's interesting, you know. I mean, people don't start drinking or get high going, oh, I hope I can become a heroin addict. Right. right? Uh, same with porn, you know. So, um, yeah, it's uh, just another area we're willing to battle in because it's it's real-world warfare right here. Yeah. that you, I guess the last thing I'll say about that uh, is whether it's addiction to porn – which is epidemic or addiction to retail therapy, just spending, 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 which is what I handle all the time in my, my main business in, in finance. Um, it's all, it just seems to all come, come from the same spot, drinking, gambling, uh, yep. spending pornography. It's like, we're looking to, um, dull something or, or enhance a feeling of power. It, it, but again, it just kind of keeps funneling back down to that spiritual warfare. Um, well, well, because it right, it is. There's a battle between good and evil. We as humans are caught in the middle. And I encourage people to put this into their worldview. Mm. Uh, and it will explain a lot more, especially if you're having trouble with your children or your spouse. And I'm not blaming everything on evil. We as humans make our own decisions. But the influence that darkness has uh, is substantial. And this young man who killed these kids in Florida, you know, he was, he, he, he did have trauma in his background. Um, but he did say he heard voices. Right. And I know those voices are demonic that cause people to do that. Yeah. And you know, you say that and people will, Jamie and I were talking about this before we jumped on this podcast. They will immediately recoil from that because they think of the, uh, you mentioned it earlier, the horror film portrayal of demons. Right. Um, That's propaganda right. from darkness. They want us to be afraid of forces of darkness, which is which is a bunch of bull corn, man. Uh, yeah. There's an authority we as Christians have over forces of darkness. Um, and again, you listeners don't have to believe this, but there was a, a young man out of prison, um, a stack. He was a bodybuilder. He called me cause he was getting ready to kill somebody. It was a text. And he just said, there's a monster in me. I can't stop it. So he came over and I said, man, it, there could be demonic activity. He goes, please help me. And when I started praying for him, he leaped up to come at me, to attack me. And I'm telling you, as sure as I'm six foot two and 205 and a double digit IQ, this guy, <laughs> froze, this guy froze in his tracks, his body locked up. Almost, uh, it's unexplainable. Uh, it was supernatural because he couldn't move. Yeah. And all he could do is talk out the corner of his mouth. And he goes, help. And I was like, well, buddy, let, let's get something straight. 
that demon that's uh, motivating you, I ain't taking no beating from it. So, and and he did get set free. His issue was he was a habitual um, fornicator and adulterer on his wife. After that night when he got free and then he put God first and started really getting into the word of God, knowing who he is, he never committed adultery on his wife again. And they actually had their first baby. Yeah, and so what's interesting about that is you're right. People can listen to this and they can say, this guy Victor's nuts and Joe's even crazier. But And they can have their opinion on that. But here's the thing. Sure. Whether they believe that story or not, you can't, you can't not believe what you guys have physically done and has documented in yep. the prisons and in, in, over in Iraq. Um, real life change real miraculous things happening and not even just over there, but like you've told me stories before about uh, even some of our top military leaders in the Pentagon for the first time having dialogue around these things. Oh yeah. That's, that's not normal. It can't be attributed to trickery. It, you know what I'm saying? That stuff's documentable. Yep. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so let, let me end it with this. And, and before I forget, um, thank you for, for spending the time and, I also know, or I can imagine that I know that it, every little time you probably tell your story, it, it you know, it, it's, it probably does, it takes a little bit of energy away from me. Let's just say it that way. It's, it's not the easiest it, thing in the it, world. It does. Yeah. Yep. Um, so thank you for that. Thank you for just being Welcome. you and sharing your time with us. But for the people that are listening who haven't followed you on social media um you know i'd like to be able to put it on facebook and things like that and, we, and i and i know where to direct them but can you tell us the easiest way to find you online and donate if they feel so inclined to do so well yes thank you there's there's two websites we have one is the easiest it's just called reachchildren.com reachchildren.com and then if a person googles my name it's Victor Marks with an X dot com. It's just my name with the website. And that website gives our kind of the full menu of what we do. And, um, and it, you know, I, I think of people's donations as someone making an investment like you. You know, you guys have invested tremendously in what we do, uh, like a portfolio. But then you get to see the return on it. And that's kind of how we are. We, you know, we're, we're pretty transparent and. If, if our time and our talent and our treasures aren't being used for the benefit, then Eileen and I'm all bride. You know, we're out. We'll, we'll go do something else. But right now, it's a, it's a pretty beautiful thing. The teams we have, uh, the partners we have. And um, we just figured out that my videos, because some people are going to realize, uh, I, I hold that record as a world fastest gunner man, but the videos, they've now crossed over a hundred million views combined, which is mind blowing to me. So, um, we, yeah, man, if only had a dollar <laughs> for, for every view, <laughs> you need a better business manager. That's what you need. Seriously. Come on board, brother. And I would say, you know, you guys should go out to YouTube and, and, and look at some of these real quick story on that. When what I didn't read at the beginning that day in July of 2011, when you came out on stage, mm -hmm. um, you, you did have nunchucks with you. You did have a 
uh, a gun with you and you did yep. form a gun disarm. But what, <laughs> but what you did before that, I'd never heard of this guy before. Like I said, I, I you know, Cajun karate guy, what, what are you right. doing here? And, uh, you started, <laughs> you know, like moving with your nunchucks and stuff. And you were going to demonstrate on some kid that you brought up in from the audience and you dropped the nunchuck and right. <laughs> like half the audience kind of knew it was a joke, but the other mm-hmm. half really didn't. And <laughs> so, I think that boy sold himself too. Yeah. He just thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to get nailed. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, if I remember correctly, you were going to knock something out of like his mouth. He was holding something in his mouth. Right. Right. And uh, your videos have a lot of that humor in it. And um, what, what I think, I think what, I think what works so well with you is that uh, again, you get out there and it's not all doom and gloom. It's, it's actually a, a fair amount of comedy and self-deprecation. And then you tell your real story. Yeah. Um, and man, it's just tough to, it's tough to not look. So a hundred million views makes sense to me. Yeah. Well, we use the humor as anesthesia and, uh, and, and, uh, we all need humor in our lives. Right. Like, serious enough. Right. Right. Amen to that. Uh, well, well, thanks sure. for having me on here. And, well, you know, we, we so care about, uh, you and Jamie, and y'all's family, and we appreciate y'all's friendship. And now introducing me to your friends, on your podcast. It, it was an honor to be here with you, bro. Thank you. Thank you very much, Victor. Uh, All right. You guys take it easy and enjoy uh, wherever you are right now. You bet. Uh, thanks for being a warrior. All right, my friend. Talk to you later. All right. See you later. Bye-bye.